The job description for a chief customer officer. The executive who oversees an organization's entire relationship with its customers and drives efforts to assess and elevate experiences at each touch point across the customer journey. Wow. Really? So basically, this person is responsible for everything from product features to sales processes to customer success interactions. Is that feasible? I am Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. And in this episode, I will be joined by Jay Nathan, who has the role of Chief Customer Officer at HireLogic, and we will be exploring how HireLogic has designed this role. So welcome, Jay. Can you provide an overview of your responsibilities at HireLogic? Yeah, sure. Thomas, it's good to see you and, and great to be on the podcast. Appreciate you having me. So I joined HireLogic back in 2020, July of 2020. So it's been a little over two years as the chief customer officer. And the responsibilities for that role are, are pretty simple from a functional standpoint. Um, I'm responsible for our implementation team, our customer support team, our customer success teams. Um, what am I leaving out here? Professional services and onboarding. So a lot of different functional roles, but I, I think to the point that you just hit on, and we'll probably get into it later, there's also a broader purview, which is to be the, the champion for the customer within our four walls. And we have a lot of those within our team. So it's not only me, but someone to really champion the experience that our customers have overall with us. Uh, and that goes far beyond just those functional roles. And so as I listen to that, so you have you have customer success, some of the service motions, you don't have sales. Is that correct? Well, interesting question. Um, actually, earlier this year, I did take responsibility for one of our business units as a, as a go-to-market leader as well. So I do have that wrapped in. And it's been an interesting evolution of my career and one where you really start to see the, the dots be connected between all the things we do on the back end of, of the sale, of the initial sale. Uh, and how that all really ties back into the front end. So it, it's a it's a newer part of my remit at Higher Logic, but over the past six months, I've I've taken some responsibility there as well. So with that BU, does that include some of the product responsibilities, product development responsibilities for that? It does, yeah. And and I've got um, a very capable team who who focuses on that 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 is part of that group. Um, but yeah, it is it is part of the go to market function, product, customer success, and sales. Okay. And so, and just so I have the landscape here, that sort of bolt on with that BU, that was after the initial scoping of the, of the chief customer exactly officer role. Is that okay? Yeah. So yep. Let, let's focus first on foremost on that role. So, so what are the success metrics that the company assigned to this role? Right. And say, Hey, we, we have to have a chief customer officer and here is really what you are on the hook for, if you will. What, what, what are those metrics? So um, at the board level, the things that I'm judged on and that, that we look at relative to the CCO role are gross retention, net retention, and, and EBITDA. Those are the things that the CCO has the most direct control over. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we could talk about the go-to-market piece, it's pretty obvious one there, but you know, that that's it. And then there, there are a bunch of leading indicators that feed into that, but those are the business outcomes that I'm responsible for as CCO. And was there any particular catalyst, the board or executive level, where they said, hey, you know, because those obviously are important metrics. I'm sure those metrics are on the table before. 
right, this role was created, right? So, yeah. so maybe the different people had, you know, in the company had responsibility for the different metrics there. But was there a, a catalyst where they said, you know, we really do need this role in, in, in place? Yeah. Um, so we're a private equity backed firm. We were, we've probably five or six X our ARR over the past five or six years. So we've, we've grown extremely quickly, some of it through acquisition. So, you know, I think as a company goes from five to 10 to 20 to 50 to a hundred million in revenue, you really do need somebody to, to tie all the pieces together. I think if you look at a lot of companies that are growing rapidly, functionally, they get mature pretty quickly, right? The support organization grows up, the customer success team grows up, but then how are you tying all that together? And I think that's the part where the, where the, and by the way, product sales, marketing, that's the part where the chief customer officer can really play a big role is in helping not only to look at our functions and how efficient we're being, but, but looking at it across from the customer's perspective around how it feels from the outside in. So I, I see that as a big part of, of my role here. And I think most customer chief customer officers that you would ask would have the same, hopefully have the same answer. And do you think, you know, that landscape of, of acquisition, right, which means, you know, you're bringing in companies that have maybe different approaches to the customer, you know, there are different experiences in play. Do you, again, having somebody who, who's saying, look, it's not just the fact that we have functions like customer success versus support versus professional services, that we want to make sure we have a good experience here. But also as a company, we have these different products that have different heritages. Do you think that that amplifies the need for this role? Yes, ab- absolutely. And I think it's more than anything, you know, the skill set is sure it's customer success and maybe professional services and implementation and support and all those functional things. I'm not an expert in all those things, by the way. Um, but where, you know, where I think a, a, a chief customer officer has to really bring a skill set is in change management, people leadership, defining initiatives. Um, and roadmaps for the organization, galvanizing the team around a vision. It goes so much further than just the functional silos. We can all figure out how to do that stuff, right? There's enough best practice. TSIA is a great example, right? I can go get best practices, but someone has to lead that charge. Someone has to drive change. Someone has to drive alignment. Hopefully the whole executive team is working together on that, but the but the chief customer officer, that's probably the more critical skill set at the end of the day is is to be able to work with the team of people and get them rowing in the same direction. Well, as I listen to you make that point that, hey, I don't have to be the expert in customer success or these other these motions, but it does sort of spring this question in my mind about the pedigree or the background of chief customer officer, right? Because you're now seeing companies create both chief customer officers as well as CROs, right? Chief revenue officers, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes they have both, sometimes they only have one. And, you know, with the CRO role, you know, obviously that's weighted to people that have more of a sales or marketing background, right? They're thinking about revenue. Of course, our observation is if you take a sales executive and just call them a CRO now, you didn't really create a CRO role yet. Um, But what do you think about the pedigree of a chief customer officer? Is it somebody, uh, do they have to have more of a services background, a sales background? Do you think it doesn't matter? I mean, what do you, what do you think the best, and maybe talk a little bit about your background and, and you know, the, it took you to that, to that role. Well, it's funny. We were talking about Blackbaud before we started recording. So I, yeah. I cut my teeth at Blackbaud as a leader for 
nine years. And it was largely professional services for about two thirds of my time there. Um, and then about a third of my time I spent in product management. So product management is like the center of the universe when it comes to inputs from executives and customers and they all have the right answer for you. Right. And you got to figure out how to prioritize it. Um, so that was one of the more challenging jobs in my career. And I'm really glad I've got that experience from there. I went on to then take my first executive role at a smaller startup using the experience that I had gained there. And in applying that, I ran services and customer success at a 150 person company after that. And then sort of grew from there, ran my own business, sold it. Here I am at higher logic. So I don't think there's any one answer to how you get to be a CCO, but I will say predominantly people are coming up through the professional services or customer success ranks. I think one of the critical elements of the role is really to understand the commercial relationship with your customers. So Mm -hmm. having had responsibility for the renewal motion or the expansion Mm -hmm. motion, or just in general, understanding and having had to negotiate contracts with your customers on some level is going to be a really big value for, uh, for anybody coming into the role. So it's a number of things. And I think you can come from a lot of different places. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any hard data on this, but um, you know, my intuition is I think folks coming up to the services rank, and to your point, I think customer success, professional services, um, probably have the, an inside track there based on their experiences, and especially yeah. if they did own some commercials in that as well as service motions. Yeah. Um, but I also think that what you said about your stint um, within the product organization is also a really key attribute because you're right. All roads lead to Rome there, right? Everyone's oh, always knocking on for the product's door for everything. And so if you, you know, have that experience and you start to realize, well, there's a lot that goes in to creating, you know, an effective customer experience. Um, I think that that really, you know, rounds out somebody, you know, really well to, to be positioned for this, uh, for this new role. The, um, so that's good. I mean, it's a little detour there, but I think that's, that's helpful for the audience. So yeah. Let me, let me say one more thing about that. I, I think yeah. the, um, the interesting thing, and maybe where services people will struggle in this kind of role, and we'll get it, probably get into this a little bit later, I'm reading ahead, but they're, they're in services, we are very much one-to-one minded. One customer, one consultant, one, one implementation yeah. specialist. And really, to scale a SaaS company, you need to work at scale. You need to work in one-to-many yes. ways. You need to work in many-to-many ways. And in all my travels and all the leaders that I talk with, customer success, services, otherwise... that's a bigger leap to make uh, than maybe even the commercial leap, which is you've got to know how to, how to build a a, a programmatic approach. So I think that the product piece really helped me. It's, it's a tale of two cities, right? Everything is at scale in product versus everything being one-to-one in services. So interesting thing maybe to dig into. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, so services is, you know, more traditionally labor oriented product is more digital (laughs) software, you know, oriented and I think a chief customer officer is trying to create the best customer experience at scale. So they've got to bring both of those thoughts together. If you, That's if right. you really think about it, right? Is they got to understand because you, you know you're, you're going to have service motions. It's never going to be completely digital, but you also want to have digital motions. And and again, I think somebody who has a, re, a respect and understanding of both ends of that spectrum, right, is going to bring the right perspective to bear because you're, you're right. If you're just used to serve, you know, in the, the last book we just wrote here, we did a whole chapter on customer success at scale because that is one of the challenges facing customer success organizations, especially in SaaS companies, especially in SaaS companies that are going to be under pressure to be more profitable 
and just can't keep throwing labor at it. That's right. Right. You've yep. got to have a different, you know, mentality. So yeah, I think it's interesting times in terms of how perspectives need to change there. So one thing I, I wanted to to get your lens on was this concept of customer effort. And, you know, we see more and more companies talking about trying to measure this, starting to realize that the lower friction <laughs> that, that they have with customers make it easier for them to do anything, right? Whether it's initial purchase, whether it's expansion, whatever. So yep. I'm curious, is customer effort something that you're exploring? It's funny that you asked this today. This Just this morning, I was talking about this with our director of uh, global customer support as an alternative or maybe an augmentation to our CSAT. So I'll tell you, I personally don't have a ton of experience with customer effort, but it, it resonates a lot with me. And it's a little bit akin to like your CSAT scores. And I think it's interesting clarification, right? People tend to get confused. They will use CSAT and NPS in the same sentence. But one is CSAT is very much a, it's a point in time, one interaction. How are we doing on that particular interaction? At least this is my interpretation. Uh, how was that support interaction? How was your implementation experience? What was the professional services interaction like? So you're measuring a very specific moment of truth, if you will. NPS being something that's more global, brand oriented. You know, how, how are we feeling about that? To me, the methodology of any of these things is less important than what you do with it. And what I mean by that is like, everybody thinks that NPS is a score or customer effort score is a score. Okay. It is. That's fine. But the more important thing there is what do you do with it? What do you do with the comments that were received? Uh, how do you aggregate and categorize that data? How do you use the verbatims that you get from your customers telling you in that moment in time, what went well and what went poorly? How do you use that or do you throw it away? Biggest thing, how do you close the loop with your customers? With all these methodologies, the biggest problem that I see is the response and the engagement rate is so incredibly low on these things. Yes, it and it's is. because we don't yeah. put enough time into making it a campaign and we don't close the loop with the customers to tell them whether they responded or not, what we did with their feedback to make them more interested next time we ask. In, in responding. So there's a little bit of a rant for you, but that, that's sort of... You know. Well, no, it's a, it's, it's a great rant. And I want to rant a little bit more on this because it's interesting. I was just in a series of conversations with uh, Stephen Fulkerson, who leads up our, our customer success research practice. And, you know, quite being, being candid, both customer sat and NPS, I think, are under immense pressure. Uh, as as you know, sort of you know, scoring mechanisms here, and and the biggest reason, and I think this is so fair, is track this NPS, and if the NPS score goes up, everybody high fives and everybody's excited and hey, this is <laughs> awesome, and if it goes down, you go, well, why did it go down? I, I don't know why it went down. Right? There's right. no to what you were on there. There's sort of no natural closed loop. It's, it doesn't directly connect the dots, right, to what we what we need to do. And same thing with SAT scores a lot of the time. So. I believe, you know, we're going to be in a world that becomes much more driven by not what customers say on a survey, but driven by what customers actually do. And what do I mean by that? Yeah. I mean, it's, are, are they renewing? Are they expanding? Um, you know, we have adoption, better adoption telemetry than we ever had. Are they actually adopting? I mean, we're going to look at those hard metrics and those are going to be our North Star metrics. Because if somebody says, oh yeah, that to your point, that transaction was great. I'll give you a five out of five. But oh, by the way, I'm not spending any more money with you, or I'm actually, you know, yeah. considering, you know, looking at another product. Who cares if you got a five out of five? 
it's almost irrelevant. It's yeah. and so I think that I think that there's that game is going to change, and I think that you know specifically the service organizations you know are are ultimately going to have to hang their hat on different success metrics there that are more actionable. So we'll, we'll see. It's it's it's, it's evolving. That, that's a really good point, and it, and it also speaks to um, well, it, it's broader than just the experience, right? Because what yeah. you just said, are they going to buy more? Do we have more to sell them? It gets into your go-to-market strategy as well, which brings everything else into scope inside the business. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a good topic, and I, I think you're onto something there. I like your methodology around that. Yeah, no, it, it, I, th- I think that the the game is changing there. It's going to be fun to watch. So, okay, so customer effort. I mean, it sounds like you know, still it, it is an emerging thing out there that people are just starting to look at. So, I'm curious, you know, how do you create the most complete view possible of what customers experience when they're interacting with your solutions, right? So what are your critical listening posts beyond what we, you know, we just talked about in NPS and customer SAP? What else? Yeah, we, we talked about NPS, we talked about CSAT um, and all these different moments of truth. Um, you know, the customer success managers are always listening to the customers and finding ways to roll that information up, track it. What, what are we hearing? Who are the competitors that are coming up in conversations? We use Gong and record every call that we do. And we get a lot of ag- good aggregate information out of that system about and, what- and For those people that might not be familiar with, I mean, I'm sure most people are, are familiar, but there are there's a whole new suite of tools out there where you can basically have, you know, software listen to customer interactions and then basically summarize for you, right? Here's where the customer was either frustrated or stressed or this yep. could have gone better. And and, and I've, I've never seen the, re- the results of it. I know our, our sales team uses a, a, a tool like that. Um, but, but tell me, I'm just curious, you know, do you find that that, that software is you know, those types of tools are, are super helpful. What's your experience there? Well, they're, they're starting to come along. I mean, I, I think that the, there are more basic use cases that are easier. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, we've got a issue with this particular client. Let's go back and listen to the calls and understand what really happened. But then there's some aggregate conversations too. Like how many times did competitor X or Y or Z come up in our sales conversations or oh, in our renewal yeah. conversations? And you can start to yeah, see yeah. that information. So I think we're just on the cusp of that. Now that we're all working from home, every call is a yeah. digital call, yeah. not just Experience, on the phone. Right. I, I think there, you know, there, there's a really big story there. As for listening, you know, one of the other things that that we've done, which is a pretty powerful technique in my opinion, is uh, when I when I first came to Higher Logic. And then again, so two years ago, and then again, when we acquired a company called Higher Logic Vanilla, mm-hmm. we actually did something called 50 and 50. It was a listening tour that we sent our executive team on. Mm-hmm. And so me, uh, my CEO, our CFO, our CTO, we basically divided up a handful of customers and went and had them do 50 customer calls in 50 days. It actually happened a lot faster than 50 days, but 50 and 50 is sort of catchy, right? So, um, but, but having executives listen across the segmentation to large and small customers in different parts of the market, Mm -hmm. different industries that we serve was really, really eye opening for all of us, um, to, to do that. And then we aggregated the results of that and put into action some, some improvement plans in, in our operations, uh, that, that helped us out. We also got a lot of insights on the market, different, yeah, pressures and impacts that our customers are feeling that you can't see through the software. You can't see it through their usage yeah. statistics. You actually do need to talk with customers every once in a while. Did, did you do, I'm curious, did, did you do that tour, listening tour virtually or in person when you were scheduling those? Well, this was during COVID. So we did it all virtually. 
virtually. You did yeah. it all virtually. But I've been on these tours where I've done them in person as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, but let me put two thoughts together here, which could be really kind of powerful because I was going to just make a, a comment back to the listening tools. You said, you know, it's just early days here, but I think that the real potential power of those tools is, I mean, how many times have you, you know, talked to a, to a sales team or even a customer success manager and said, Hey, how's the customer doing? How's the relationship? And they go, Oh, Hey, it's, you know, it's all good or, or it's all bad. You know, I'm really yeah, nervous, right. but there's a, but you don't know for sure. Right. There's a lot of interpretation there, but, but if you brought together tools, which basically take out some of the emotion and really focus on the data <laughs> that was in the conversation and the sentiment, that's powerful. If you combine a tool like that with an executive listening tour, where you could basically have software also listening to what the customers are saying, and then you could aggregate and summarize the key themes back. Hey, we just did this you know, 50 customer tour, and oh, by the way, after 50 visits, here's what the software is telling us, key themes. That could be powerful. What I mean, I can't think of a better use of executives' time than, oh, than helping absolutely. basically be a killer listening post for the company, right? By yeah. hosting those. So anyway, I, I, I don't know many companies that are doing that. There are a lot of startups in the world that that would love to have you as their spokesperson right now because there, there are <laughs> there are several of those out there, and it's it's pretty compelling yeah. stuff for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think there's, yeah. I think there's a lot of upside here, you know, for, for these tools and on some of these different motions. And again, getting beyond intuition and using really, you know, data is your yeah. guide here in terms of what the, what's really going on with the, with the customers in the marketplace. Yeah. The, um, so, so, yeah, so that, I think it was a great conversation on, on listening posts here. And that's, that's something that, you know, a lot of our, I think our, our member companies are realizing is that they need more listening posts, right? And yeah. more effective listening posts. Can I give you two more real quickly on that? Oh, yeah, before, yeah. Before we move on. Yeah. On it? So one is, is, and this is near, near and dear to my heart, but is your customer community. There's a lot happening oh, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're fostering yeah. it, where you know things are being shared, questions are being asked that are basically the zeitgeist of your of your customer base at all times. So customer community yep. is a huge part of listening, and then also your operational yep. data. Like, what is your actual data on the experience telling you? So we can dig into that maybe more later. Yeah, you know, no, definitely. Yeah, again, I mean, I think that the, the listening posts are becoming more numerous. They're becoming more in, insightful, and I think that um, the gap I see is that these tools and, and, and these telemetry are starting to present themselves and companies haven't really updated their approach yet, you know, their processes and yeah. their priorities to say, oh, we should be, you know, instead of, again, we, oh, we always relied on the, the customer sat transactional surveys. Well, yeah, but there's five other ways you could be listening now that are probably <laughs> going right. to be way more insightful. You got to lean yeah. into that. So, so I still think there's a, there's a lag there, but I'm, I'm, I'm really curious so, so let's say, you know, you are listening, you're keeping your eyes on, on different listening posts. You start to, you know, identify um, a friction point. Hey, it's very clear our customers are, are frustrated at this point in the journey, right, with this particular product or whatever. How, what's your process, you know, once you identify, how do you go about closing friction points down? Because often they're cross-functional. It's not just one mm. organization that has to lean in to help, you know, deal with it. So. So what's your approach? Again, as chief customer officer, this is what, you know, <laughs> this is yeah. what you're doing, right? So how, so how do you go work it? Well, we try to work this very programmatically. So mm-hmm. um, a couple of things come to mind here. One is you know, we talk, I just mentioned operational data. We have monthly business reviews every month where we look at what we call level one metrics. And level one metrics are basically quantitative and qualitative metrics about 
a process. In the quantitative part, let's just take customer support, for example. Mm-hmm. How many cases are we feeling? Are we having more cases than we anticipated having? Like, what is our efficiency there? Then there's the qualitative part of it. How does the customer feel about that? That would be the CSAT or the CES mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier. And when you look at those two things together, you have a balanced equation, right? Are we delivering something efficiently and at high quality? Because not everything you deliver efficiently is high quality, right? Yep. So um, the, the way we, we look at those is when something falls out of line, everything has a target, right? It's a KPI, not just a number. But if something falls out of line with our expectation, then we spring into action and we create a go-to-green plan. And the go-to-green plan is pretty simple. It's meant to be very simple. But we ask ourselves the five whys. What's going on? Why is this happening? Okay, why is that happening? We just go down the line. If support lead times are long, why is that? We were understaffed. Why is that? People were out. Why? And we can go figure out what the root cause of a an issue is that showed up in our metrics. A lot of times, and the point you just made, the solutions to these problems will be cross-functional. We know that when you hand off an account to the customer implementation team from sales and the, the customer stalls out for whatever reason, there was something that probably happened between sales and the point where the customer started implementation that was mm-hmm. off kilter or we had a missed mm-hmm. expectation of some sort. So we form what we call working teams and they are not functional. They're not any one line of business. They're typically you know, they're ephemeral, so they come together for a period of time, but they literally exist across whatever functions are part of that process. And there's an objective written down. What does success look like when we do this better? What is that metric going to look like when we're done with it? And then that working team led in part by a program manager, somebody whose job it is to go drive the, the project plan to fix and put a solution in place for this problem they work it out and they work together on it. And so we, we create a lot of working teams around our organization for different types of, of, of issues. Not everything has to come from a manager. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit more. So for, first question is, is a working team typically organized around a customer because this customer had an issue or around a problem? Like, Hey, we have a problem with onboarding or whatever. What, what's the, what's the, it's, it's going to be more around a problem or a process, but we okay. may have a, Perfect. we may have a tiger team that it gets together briefly to, to handle customer issues. We do that every day, but this is really more process driven. So, 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 okay. We've identified a friction point in our, in our customer experience. Uh, I'll just pick an easy one. It's, it's onboarding, right? People just, you know, we're not getting enough people through there effectively. We, uh, we, we get our working team. It's cross-functional. It may have somebody from product involved. It may have somebody from customer success, whoever it might be a sales, you know, executive involved. And they're yep. given a subjective, right? To go, to go, and, you know, look at onboarding and improve it. How do they balance? Is that become, you know, sort of a full-time assignment forum and a short, sort of burst or is it, you know, how do they balance? Because, you know, again, they, they all probably have day jobs, right. That they're, that they they're responsible for. So, so how yeah. do you, do you, do you keep them like hundred percent on this problem until it's resolved or is it 50, 50? I'm just, I'm just curious because I'm sure this is what people are, are wondering, right? How do I yeah, get it's hard, it's hard to going? do that. It's very hard to take somebody out of their day-to-day job, especially because most of these people are people leaders as well. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so we have, we have operations teams for sales, for, customer experience, for product, for 
finance and, and revenue operations. So a big part of it is is having them sort of arm in arm with the functional leader or the people leader that's mm-hmm. responsible for that area of the business, helping to drive those things. But so, but you can't like the managers have to be involved because a lot of times this involves change of some sort to behavior. So once we put a new process in place, you have to go instill that process and make sure that it's being followed and inspected and teams are being held accountable for it. So you can't get away from including those folks in it. But that's why we have a combination of people leaders responsible for those areas, the operational leaders that are part of that functional area or that own that process, and then program management to help us stay on track. Yeah. So so, yeah. So so if I play that back, I mean, sort of two key capabilities there, right? To, to, to spin up these working teams to take down a friction point is, is program management. I hear that loud and clear. You got to have mm-hmm. that is, is a, is a muscle, right? Someone's got to program manage this. Yep. And then we do have, you know, operational cap, you know, centers of excellence or whatever in each of these areas. So I've got sales operations or customer success operations, and we're going to lean heavily on them you know, with program management. And then last but not least, who's ever leading customer success or sales or product or whatever, they've got to be in the loop. They're not going to be in this day to day, but they've got to have some skin in the game because ultimately their organization may have to change a process or an approach and they've got to sign on, you know, basically lean, lean into that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's the classic people process technology and strategy, right? Equation. So, and those three people or those three types of people usually cover all those grounds. Yeah. So I think it's key for any company. I mean, if, you know, if you're underinvested in program management, if you're underinvested in operations, this is one of the things we hear a lot in customer success now is people are realizing that they're, you know, they've got investment on the front end resources, right? And they're yeah. underinvested in the back office, if you will, the operations capabilities. And, and so again, you know, taking friction points down without operational capabilities or program management is going to be pretty hard to do. So I think there's just some really good really good lessons there. Yeah. So, so, you know, in, and I've said this in this podcast, I don't know how many times over the past couple episodes, but we, we, in the last book here, we keep talking about complexity kills and, and that yeah. B2B solution providers need to ring out complexity and, and make their solutions easier to, to implement. And so I'm curious, how do you approach that? How do you accelerate adoption? I actually, I, I completely agree with the complexity piece, but I also think, and maybe this goes hand in hand, to me that translates to lack of prescription kills, um, you know, kills. And so, you know, what we've learned over the past 15 years about how to launch a customer community is that there's a, there's a pattern you can follow. And if you follow that pattern, you're going to, you're going to be successful. And it's really proven tactics. Yeah. Some of it's in the inside of the technology itself and how you set it up. But a lot of it is outside the technology and how you set it up, which yep. is why people come to us for these kind of solutions. But yeah, it's all about being prescriptive. And I think, you know, we've all been in, in software companies in our careers that, you know, you sell the dream, you, you can build whatever you want, but at the end of the day, and I think it's time continues to march on and solutions get more and more specific and vertical industry focused, you're going to be competing with very specific solutions as a, as a vendor. So you have to be prescriptive and understand the target market that you're trying to serve, how you solve their problems specifically. Your product may still be a horizontal platform, right? But maybe you have templates in the software itself for the 
largest industries that you serve so that when you open up the box, you're starting with, with an iPhone, not a, a kit to build a phone. Yeah. That's a bad analogy, but <laughs> you, you see what I'm getting at, right? Well, no, no. You're, I mean, you you are speaking my language here because I would assert that, you know, you look at a lot of the current generation of SaaS companies and definitely the ones that are, you know, SaaS companies, you know, SaaS been around for 20 years now. It's definitely the ones that are, let's say, 10 years old. They have a very classic enterprise software approach, which is, look, like you just said, I have this toolkit, <laughs> And it has a yeah. lot of capabilities and a lot of features and, and, you know, God bless you. Here you go. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and, and so I, I think that that model is, is eventually going to, you know, be dead man walking because it's just way too much customer effort to figure it out. So, so to your point, back to this question about how do we make it easier on customers, how do you wring out complexity is we are very prescriptive. And we're saying, look, we've done this a hundred times before. So if you're, you know, standing up a new community, if you're standing up a new CS organization, if you're standing up a new sales organization, whatever it is, here are the steps you should take with this software. Here's, you know, what you should use first. Here are the templates to get there. And I think it's, it's, you know, borderline unconscionable the way that still a lot of software companies are just sort of throwing the platform and, and still on this hamster wheel of features. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just think and professional services, Thomas. It's it's professional services too. One of our biggest competitors is is basically, you know, our, our the customers who come to us from this competitor tell us it's like a box of Legos, right? And we we had to figure out how to put it together without the instructions. <laughs> so, like, if you know, it, it's a, it's a strategy question too. Who is your target market? Who are your target markets? And how are you building your go to market and your delivery execution? To, to suit. Yep. Yep. Well, so. I mean, I, I will, I will tell you, I am in conversations with a lot of software, you know, leaders from, from legacy companies and, you know, they're very proud of the fact that, you know, they have all this capability and that customers can do all these very, very different things with their, you know, their platform and that, you know, the, they're sort of very, very proud of the fact that customers can customize the heck out of things. Right. And, you know, I, I tell them, I so said, look, in today's world, I think that what you think is a feature is a bug. <laughs> I think that is a bug, not a feature. And that's nobody funny. likes to hear that. <laughs> but I think that that's, you know, that, that is, you know, a, a reality. And, um, and, I, and yeah. again, I don't think the software industry has quite, you know, woken up to that, that fact or internalized it yet. But I, I'm going to give you a chance to talk specifically, you know, about your solution, because as you said, you know, your, your approach to help customers is to be prescriptive here. And, you know, I was, I was looking on the website, you know, your tagline as a company is meaningful relationships made simple. So could you break that down? What exactly is a meaningful relationship with, yeah. with the customer and how do you make it, you know, how do you make it simple? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. So um, for those who don't know, HireLogic is a customer community platform company. And so we help our customers put customer community underneath all of the different facets of the customer journey, whether it be onboarding and implementation, customer success, adoption, optimization, renewal, all those things. There's a customer community that evolves around your business. And we help you sort of bring that to life to help drive net retention, profitability, because we make you more efficient, and also advocacy to help drive the top line growth of the business with your 
best proponents, your, your customer advocates. So our purpose is to connect people with knowledge and ideas to really get better at what they do and help their companies get better at what they do uh, through your through your products. You know, I think when you talk about meaningful relationships, the most meaningful relationship you can have with a customer is not necessarily the customer that stays a customer for decades. Because let's face it, that's probably not going to happen in this day and age. But what's really, really meaningful, what I call a customer for life, is someone who takes you with them when they move to different companies, Mm -hmm. right? So that's a meaningful relationship. And it's really more personal it is with a company, but it all, all of our relationships are with people. Can we make their lives better? Can we help them do their jobs better? Will they take us with them when they leave and go somewhere else? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that sort of success metric really resonates with me and what we do for a living because we see that that same thing, right? To your point, I mean, people do not stay at companies for 20 years anymore. No. But if they, they have a relationship with you at company A and they go to B and once they get there, they say, hey, you know, we don't use you, but we're going to use you, you know, and just give me some time to, to make that happen. That speaks volumes that they got value out of that relationship. So I agree with you. I think that's a, a good way to define a success metric in today's world for sure. Now, the, the way that community helps you in that situation, because now you're at risk too, and your customer champion, right. your customer for life leaves and goes somewhere else. Now you're at risk yeah. unless you have multiple relationships in a deep way to bring n- new relationships online for that customer account. And so community is a part of making that very simple. It's your digital hub for learning, education, for knowledge, for connecting with peers, connecting with our employees and our partners. And so community sort of sits at the center of all that for our customers. So if I play that back for folks, right, and you think about, well, do I have a meaningful relationship with my customer, right? How do I know that? I think you have put two things on the table. Number one, your primary executive sponsor, whatever, they're probably going to leave at some point when they do, do they take you with them? That's one way to the litmus right. test. The other thing is with the company, when you lose an, an executive sponsor, do you have broad based adoption and sponsorship where there's lots of people, right? Not just that main yep. advocate, but lots of people saying, Hey, I get value here. We, you know, we got to stay in this relationship. So I, th- I think both of those are good ways to really assess, did you have a meaningful relationship with that customer? So that, that's good. So I have one final question since you are in the business of online communities and online communities have been with us now for decades, you know, and I've seen some companies who have just been incredibly successful with their online community endeavors, other companies struggle kind of getting that going. But what do you think is the future of online communities? Where do you guys see this going? Yeah. Well, to understand the future, it's probably helpful to look at the past a little bit as well. Historically, yeah. when you think about a customer community, it's it's grown up around customer support and what you might commonly hear referred to as deflection of support cases, right? It helps you keep your costs in line. It's a self-service mechanism. All that still applies, right? It's still a fantastic use case for an online community for a product company. But more and more what I'm seeing, and I spend a lot of time in the customer success community. Uh, We didn't mention this, but we also operate a customer success leadership community called Gain, Grow, Retain, which has got thousands of members all over the globe. And in conversations with those leaders, we are seeing more and more customer success teams take an interest in how community can help them scale. Mm-hmm, yeah. Customer success is a lot like services historically. There's a lot, we built it around one-to-one interactions, deep relationships, hand-holding the customer, being white glove mm-hmm. service. That was great 
Thomas for the past 13 years when mm-hmm. funding has been ubiquitous. Uh, I think we touched on this earlier. It's right. been, you, you, you sort of throw a rock and you can get more investment in, in a business from any investor on the street. They're excited, eager to be part of this ecosystem. That's all coming to an end. It's coming to an end really, really quickly. We're seeing it now. And I think as we go forward, just like every other function of the business, the customer success organization is going to be heavily, heavily scrutinized. And so the question is not going to be, how many more people do you need to go handle all the additional customers we're going to bring on this year? It's how are you going to scale your engagement with all those customers? Not to stop doing the one-on-one, but to put this layer of community interaction underneath it so that your customers feel like they have more outlets for help and support. Your CSMs can actually work a normal day or week without feeling overwhelmed and be able to have some satisfaction and achievement in their job. So I think this whole world of online communities really gets to be more ubiquitous going from just more of a support case deflection kind of mindset to a full customer success, driving adoption, driving outcomes, networking with my peers, the ability to do that is um, I think going to differentiate customer communities in the future. I also think that it's going to be a price of entry. No longer are you going to be able to get by without having this because your competitors are going to have it and they're going to have a vibrant Mm -hmm. ecosystem of people connecting with one another, helping with one another. You're facilitating it. You're the DJ, not the talent is what I always say. And, And it's going to be a differentiator in the sales cycle. Again, if I as I listen to you and I just play this back, so the future of of communities and in, in you know let's say for a technology company, number one, you know the fact that communities can help scale, they can help scale support motions, they can help scale customer success motions, and I, I completely agree. I mean, one of the main themes I'm working on this coming calendar year is around profitable SaaS. What's it going to take for SaaS companies? The vast majority of them are unprofitable. Yeah. Um, you know, what's it going to take for them to be profitable? So there is already massive scrutiny. So communities being a, a mechanism for digital scale, for sure. But then secondly, communities being not just a source, to your point of deflection, but a real wealth of insight for, for adoption and success for customers. That can you get your community across that threshold where people are going there and saying, gosh, when I go there, I get real insight to success. Not just I had a technical issue and I need, you know, how do I solve this bug right. or whatever? How, what's the workaround? Right. And so I think that both, you know, for technology companies, boy, if you are able to pull both of those levers with communities, that's probably, you know, a future worth pursuing for sure. Absolutely. And in return, you get the insights to what your customers are thinking by by right. being the operator of that of that community and being so close to it. We talk about these listening posts. That's right. It is a listening post. As it becomes a really effective listening post. Um, and again, it's not just a transactional customer SAT survey, you know, or NPS score. It's real, you know, much more in the moment, much richer, yep. much more tangible about what's working or not working. Yeah. So that's, yeah. you know, that's good. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate that perspective. I really appreciate you stopping in today, Jane, and sharing your thoughts as, you know, and, and perspective on chief customer officer. I mean, I think that is a role that, again, we're seeing uh, more and more companies stand up for, for all the right reasons, right, to really help with that end-to-end perspective for, for the customer. So I always like to end these episodes with a question of the day. So here it is. At your company, who is ultimately responsible for assuring your customers are being delighted. Thanks for joining us. Cheers.